Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Welcome to season two of the podcast, where we are going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, we would love for you to subscribe and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Away From Keyboard. AFK is a lifestyle brand that believes in reconnecting with humanity and our planet. Whether that's tossing a disc on the weekends or hanging out by a campfire, they're dedicated to get you to explore and grow in your own backyard. Join the adventure and check out their website at www.awayfromkeyboard.co. That's www.awayfromkeyboard.co. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Sarah Melvin. Sarah Melvin was the 2019 Ulti World European Female Player of the Year and was part of the 2018 and 2019 Eurostars Tour. She plays for the women's club team Dublin Gravity and has played for Jabba the Huck in both the women's and mixed division. Sarah has represented Ireland five times, including with the U23 mixed team in 2013, the mixed beach team at the 2015 World Championships of Beach Ultimate, and the mixed team in 2016 at the World Ultimate and Guts Championships. She was slated to be a captain for Ireland's women's team at the 2020 World Ultimate and Guts Championship that got postponed due to COVID-19. She has finished second once at the European Ultimate Championships in 2015 with the Ireland mixed team, then won a gold medal at the European Ultimate Championships in 2019 with the Ireland women's team. Here's my interview with Sarah Melvin. So I'm here with Sarah Melvin. She was Ulti World's 2019 European Female Player of the Year. She's been on the Eurostars Tour as well, so some of the North American audience here may have seen her play when the Eurostars Tour was out and about. So Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm good, thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, a little bit of a time zone difference, but we're happy uh, we can connect and uh, get this conversation going. So we're going to start with segment one, your journey. How did you get into Ultimate? How did you become the the player that you are now, winning this award, being a captain of the Ireland women's team as well? How did that all start for you? Well, it started back uh, in university. Um, in my first year, I played basketball, but I lived with lots of people who played Ultimate Frisbee. And in the beginning, I had no interest. I didn't really understand what it was. It was still quite small here at the time. And it took a whole year of convincing and some dragging me to trainings uh, to get me to start. And then once I did, I played one tournament, I think, and came back a week later and had quit basketball and never looked back. Oh, wow. So you, uh, you went from being a basketball player then now just fully into ultimate. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Within the space of one week, I had just completely switched switched to a new sport. Awesome. And what was the first thing or of the maybe many things that attracted you to Ultimate that maybe basketball didn't give you when you were playing basketball? I think initially it was the community that was there in the university. I just felt like I fit in. So there was a nice place to be initially. And then in terms of the sport, it seemed to combine the things that I was good at or naturally good at. There was loads of space to run around in and my athleticism could pay off in that size of a space and I could bring in just the techniques from other sports like cutting, finding space and 
So in the beginning, it was felt quite natural. And then it took a while to get, you know, the skills and things like that. But it was easy enough for me to slot in and play games from the beginning, which was nice. So you were the prototypical athletic cutter that teams would pick up and then sort of, if you had to throw, you'd be throwing that quick uh, reset pass then. Is that right? Exactly. That was my role. Yeah. And so in your journey, how did you then start developing those disc skills? What practice did you put in? What were some purposeful things you did to develop those disc skills to be the player that you are now? The main thing really for me was being given the chance to play for that Ireland under 23 mixed team. And I was very unknown at the time, had very little experience. And the coach, Ian French, who's still my coach today, just gave me the chance. And he put loads of time and effort into me and really guided me through what I needed to do to be more than just an athletic cutter on a team. And I think without that guidance, I probably wouldn't have progressed as much. He knew the progression that I needed, not just sending me out to the field trying to throw pitch length hooks when I just didn't have that yet. So I think good coaching guidance was what put me on the right track. For sure. And you mentioned uh, your time in university there, just first learning about the sport. So can you summarize what Ultimate was like in university for you? As we talked about off air, University Ultimate is huge, especially in the United States, but also in Canada as well for the couple of months that it does run. So how is it different there in Ireland and in Europe in general? What did that teach you, uh, if anything at all? It's very small here in Ireland, and it still is. It has grown since I started, but really the competitive games don't really start until club level. When I began, I think um, I was part of the first women's team in the University of Limerick, so it was all very new to everyone. We were lucky to have some male coaches come in and help us get set up, but you would play maybe three or four teams in a year once at an intervarsity tournament and that would be it. And at the time, there was one university that was just way further on in the development phase and they would win. So there wasn't a lot to learn in that sense. It was more playing and meeting people, but it wasn't until you stepped outside the university that people kind of progressed to that next level. And when you made that mixed team, had you played club at that point? Or were you just fresh out of just playing only University Ultimate and and sort of that limited experience as you were talking about? I don't think I had started with the club. I think I had only played about one semester's worth of Ultimate properly. A bit on and off, I was away on study abroad and things like that. So I was very lucky to get the chance. I was very inexperienced. So then how did your club career start? both playing with Jabba the Huck and then eventually with Dublin Gravity. Something for the audience to note as well, for those not in the European portion of the audience, as we were talking off air, Sarah, Ultimate is different there where mixed and open and women's happens year round. So you can play both. So I really started Club Ultimate because I made that Irish team. It was something you had to do to be a part of the team. And I joined Jabba the Huck because the coach was part of that club and I had a friend in Limerick who used to travel back to Dublin to play. So it was a natural thing for me to do was hop in the car and go to Dublin as well. Yeah, so that's how it started. And then having my national team coach at club level meant that trainings were very focused. I was working on things I needed to work on. But at the time, then it was mostly mixed. I was playing and then that gradually 
went towards women's and that's when I started playing with Dublin Gravity. Cool. And you've had a very illustrious now national team career, European Ultimate Championships being very successful. So in 2015, you were the mixed team and you came in second. So how was that experience losing to Great Britain there in the final? That was a really tough experience. A bit better now, looking back on it a couple of years later. At the time, it was the first really serious tournament I had been to where we had set a goal of winning. Our goal was a gold medal at EUC. And to do so well and get that far and to not come away with it was a really tough learning experience, especially when it just, the final just didn't go the way we wanted it to. I don't think in other circumstances the result would have been different, but it's just a shame to lose it in the way we did. But it really was motivating to try and come back and do better the next time. And then the year after, you also played mix, but this time at the World Ultimate and Guts Championship, so big deal. That's the true national team. It's not a club kind of thing. So what was that like? How did that selection process go and, and all that stuff? Well, actually, for that team, I had taken that season off. I didn't want to play mixed at the time because the, the country had made a move to open and women's rather than mixed. And I didn't feel like I was ready to play in the women's division just with the year that was in it and everything. So I decided to take the year out to kind of just reevaluate things. Uh, I had suffered quite a lot of injuries in 2015 as well, which impacted me then. So I was a late addition in 2016 when Kelly Highland, she was a captain and one of the main players on the team. She tore her ACL. So I was asked very last minute, just before windmill, whether I would join the team. But you took advantage of the opportunity, it sounds like. And can you talk a little bit more about the thinking process that you just mentioned about not necessarily being ready for the women's division, how did then you reach that state where you felt that you're able to contribute in that division for your country and in the club level as well? Well, I think because it's such a big commitment, I wanted to join a team that was on the same page and that all had the same goals. And I didn't think that that was the case in 2016. So I wanted to wait until because Ireland's a small country, I wanted to wait till we had everyone ready to go for this goal of being good and winning rather than just going. And so I was willing to wait until that day came. And that was really why I just decided to step back because I didn't want to be on a team where I didn't feel like I fit in properly with it just being such a big commitment. And so with that attitude, you were then successful with your team in 2019 so can you tell the audience about what happened in 2019 with your team tasting some uh, gold there we got Ian French back in as a coach the same coach that was there in 2015 and had been my coach back in 2013 as well decided he would love to coach our women's team as he focuses mostly on women's clubs and again came in with clear goal setting and we had a discussion at the beginning of the year saying we wanted a medal in my head, that meant gold. But as a team, we had decided a medal position was a really good goal for us as the women's teams hadn't performed particularly well at big tournaments in the past. So that was a big step up. And I think everyone bought in from day one. There was really good team vibe. Everyone wanted to play an important role and to do what they could for the team. And I think that really showed off then when we got to the tournament because... It was such a team effort. If you're, I know it's not possible, but if you watch all our games throughout the, the tournament, 
the teams looked different every time. There were different roles. And I think that was the big difference. And so then winning at the European Ultimate Club Championships, a gold medal, how did that feel? What was that experience like? Can you kind of uh, give us a little snapshot into that experience? Oh, well, that was probably one of the best days of my life. <laughs> I've been kind of waiting for that day since 2015, after knowing what it felt like to come second. And I knew we'd put in the work as a team. And I felt personally I put in way more work than I ever had. And it had been a quite, pretty long year. I've been living at home, so I'm not from Dublin. So I've been living quite isolated in the west of Ireland. So I was doing a lot of solo training. And just that feeling of it all having paid off was just such an amazing, amazing experience. For sure. And then you were also named captain for the 2020 team, which we're hoping it happens in 2021. But what was that like when you found out first you made the team and then B, you're a captain on that women's team now? For the 2020 season, I applied for a leadership role. So we do it a bit differently here. So in 2019, the team was formed without a captain and a captain was selected by the team. But then the leadership from that year, so I was captain in 2019 as well. We had a discussion and decided whether we wanted to continue in the same direction or not. And we did. So then there's an application process. You apply for different leadership roles and then our governing body decides whether it's appropriate or not. So I went into the season knowing that I was the captain. So it was very different from the 2019 season. But really nice way to start the year with a very clear vision of what you want and what your role is going to be. And how did the cancellation uh, really affect your team in terms of training? How's your team doing now in terms of, like the rest of the world, not not really sure if this championship is going to happen. I know WIFDF has scheduled it in 2021, but we, we truly don't know if it's going to happen. So how's your team and yourself navigated that challenge? In the beginning, we took it quite hard. But people stayed motivated because I think in the beginning, no one really realized how long this pandemic would go on for. So we had weekly kind of Zoom meetings were optional, but we were checking in quite a lot, doing some video analysis. And as that went on, obviously that reduced, but people were still doing their own thing, just making sure they were keeping checked in with someone on the team. And then recently... When level five hit again, so we have level system, so level five is complete lockdown. We got put into that again. And I think that hit people quite hard, me included. I wasn't expecting a second time around for everything to be taken away. So recently we just had a Zoom meeting and we work with Think Ultimate to work on our mental strength training. And we just had a call with that. So everyone's feeling motivated again. Maybe not overly hopeful that it will go ahead but at least motivated enough to get back out and put in the hard work so it's been a bit of a roller coaster but we're back on track yeah i'm sure uh for many people that's the same it's not just uh your team there but the last uh, thing i want to talk about with your career is the Eurostars tour that's something that happened in 2018 and 2019 we've seen success in that in the men's game as well with the next gen tour which came before that so Eurostars tour 2018 and 2019 what was that experience like? Did you have to apply? Did they recruit you? How did that all work? And what was it like playing all these elite level North American club teams? So it starts with an application process. You just fill in quite a large form because it, you have to bond quite quickly and you spend a lot of time together. You have to apply about with your playing and with some video of yourself playing and things like that and how you saw yourself as a player. But then there were also some personality questions 
which sounds harsh when I say it out loud, but things like, do you need your space on a scale of one to five? You know, where are you and things like that, which after being on the tour is exceptionally reasonable because you spend a lot of time together. So you need to know that people will be comfortable in that situation. So once you do that, then there was a short list and then there's more scouting done and then a final decision was made. Then we get told once everyone has agreed to be on the team. So it was a stressful while waiting to hear whether you're on the team, but uh, worth it for when, when you were told. For sure. And what was your first reaction or first thing you did, first person you told when you uh, said, hey, I'm going to North America for the summer to go play some Ultimate? Yeah, well, the first year I was so shocked. I honestly just didn't think I would get it. I applied because people thought I should, but I hadn't been playing as much Ultimate as previous years. So I was really just doing it for the sake of doing it with no real hope. And I just messaged my coach when I got it saying, I'm going to America. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. So that was a really nice feeling. And then the second year around, it was kind of relief because you're always afraid you won't be taken back. So it was more of a relief rather than an excitement the second year to know, okay, it's happening. I get to do this all over again. So very different. Some different feelings there. But what was it like traveling then to America? But you've also played some Canadian teams. I know you played uh, the hometown team here from where I'm from, the Toronto Sixers. And so what was it like traveling to those different spots? Was there a big culture difference for some of the players on the team, maybe for yourself? What was that like being able to travel and just learn about different cultures and different team styles as well? Honestly, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever done in my life, possibly will ever do. It's that experience of being a professional athlete, but having those snippets of free time to actually see some of the states that you might not get to see otherwise and to actually meet some people we're hosted when we go over so lots of the time by players or by friends of teams and that experience of meeting locals hearing about what life is like and just getting to know people is amazing and one thing that I just feel like I would have missed out if I hadn't got that opportunity to do it and then obviously playing playing all the teams that's I think every person's dream over here in Europe is to play the best the best in the states some hard losses and a lot of lessons learned but an amazing feeling either way, whether it was a win or a loss, you're doing the thing you want to do the most. And I think that was the best thing about the Eurostars Tour is that's an opportunity you wouldn't have without it. So shout out to Bex Forth for setting that up and, and the other people on her uh, team there making that happen. And also shout out to someone we were talking about off air, Nick Hung, who was uh, someone who offered you a billet spot there when you were in Toronto. I'm going to ask you a, just kind of a fun question here, a sidetrack. What was your favorite tourist attraction or place you saw when you were overseas here in North America? Oh, wow. That's a full question. I think probably my favorite spot, like in general, was San Diego. I just love the beach and I love sun. So it was just a perfect spot for me. But again, it was so nice to see just such a contrast. We were in so many different places that each place was interesting, whether or not it had the sun and the beach. <laughs> but it was great. San Diego, I'd be there in a heartbeat if I could. Yeah, the USA Ultimate National Championships would have been in San Diego as well, which seems to be a, a good spot to hold it. And so you mentioned your coach earlier as being someone that was important in your journey. So is there anyone else you want to give a shout out to as to someone 
or a group of people that helped you on your journey in Ultimate? Well, one big person that has played a huge role throughout all of my career, but especially recently, is Fiona Myrna. She's a player, so she's on the national team with me, and she's been on my club teams for as long as I remember. But in terms of playing-wise, she was the person to be when I started. You'd hear about Fiona, and you, you wanted to be her. So it was such a motivating thing was having someone to aim for and having someone that you wanted to match up with because you knew she would challenge you. So that really just kept me working really hard every year. And then she recently became a strength and conditioning coach and a physio. And she's taken me on as a sponsored athlete. And in the past, I had lots of injury problems and she's just managed to completely change my life. I couldn't get through a season without a bad injury or an overuse injury and now I feel better than I ever did before which is amazing so I think without her I might not even be still playing I think I would have told myself I'm too injured for this so definitely helping you out uh, in the injury prevention front and then last question here this segment what's some advice you would give to someone who's transferring from another sport kind of like you right transferring from basketball in university to ultimate What's the advice you would give them to try to get to the next level and make a national team, something like that? I think it would be commitment to skills, to disc skills. Because I think if you're transferring from another sport, you probably have a good idea of lots of skills that would need or transferable skills, such as making cuts or hand-eye coordination, spatial awareness. So I think actually giving that extra bit of time to honing those disc skills getting someone to work with you to actually help you with it rather than hoping you're doing it correctly, go and ask for that advice and listen. I think that's the best thing that ever happened for me with someone just to come up to me and say, I think I could help you be really good. This is what I think. You can do it if you want. And I think everyone should go find someone like that if they can. So even like a throwing coach or something like that, just to really watch your to watch your throws, right? Because that's the only way you're going to get better. Yeah, that's what I think anyway, especially if you're transferring from a sport. Yeah. Great advice there from Sarah Melvin. We're going to go to segment two here, day-to-day life. So obviously your day-to-day life has been halted a little bit by, you said stage five. It's a little bit different in in Canada where I am of uh, what lockdowns look like and things like that. But how has your training been stunted that way? How do you balance uh, work? and also training for the national team in a non-COVID situation? Well, at the minute, there is no training happening. So there's no actual ultimate training happening. There hasn't been for most of the year. There was a brief period there where training came back, but our season will be over anyway. We'd normally just have national team training, but again, that can't happen. So where we can, we do individual training or pod trainings. The problem at the moment is pod trainings aren't really allowed so it's back to individual training and then just trying to keep up the fitness as best we can gyms are also closed so it's making those adaptions to try and keep going which is challenging I'm not used to being without the gym so I needed a bit of help to get on track with the home workouts but like I said after our recent team talk starting to look more like the national team again even if we can't meet in person just yet But I'm quite lucky at the moment. So I'm a teacher, so schools are still open. So that gives me that that break. So it feels like normal life. I go to work, I come home, I do my training. So I imagine 
it's so much harder for someone who's working from home and is confined to that space to try and do everything in that one place. Whereas I'm just really thankful I can go and come back. And I get to play a lot of Frisbee in school at the moment as well. So it keeps even the basic skills in check. So is it uh, the teachers uh, versus the students here? Or are you just uh, taking out all your uh, students in uh, phys ed class there? Not just yet. I said I'd teach them something first. We had a little a little teachers v students game the other day. Three teachers versus five students. We thought we'd make it a little fair. But it's great. It's a new sport in the school. I brought it in this year. We get to do it in physical education and as an after school club. And just the number of kids that want to play is amazing. We're quite limited now with COVID, but even just seeing that list of names of people that want to take part, just it's so motivating. Yeah, they could be the next uh, future Sarah Melvin. They're kind of like how you were looking up to Fiona, trying to be like her. Maybe one of those students will want to be you someday. So that's uh, pretty cool. And what would the main sport be that the kids play in school there? Well, in my school, it's quite a new school. So there's only three-year groups uh, at the moment. So sports haven't really been established fully. So I'm hoping it's going to be Frisbee. But in most schools, it would be the GAA, their Irish Gaelic football, and hurling. You know those? Curling. Hurling. Oh, really? I thought it would be uh, like soccer or football. Well, we do have soccer as well, but... Our national sport is the GAA sports, so they'd usually be first preference and then soccer would come close after. That makes sense. And as a teacher, how do you balance when you're training for the national team and club playing with Dublin Gravity there? How do you balance that all on weekends and, and kind of during the week? What does that look like? Well, luckily, I haven't had to do too much of it at the moment because I've only just qualified. So and then everything got cancelled. But while I was studying, I was doing some teaching practice in university and trying to travel to Dublin for trainings, which is about four hours, four and a half hours each way. So, oh man, yeah, it was a lot of making sure I had my laptop with me and spending any free time I had on the train or in a restaurant hanging around for my train home that I would just make sure I didn't waste time basically, so that I could do what I wanted to do and play on a national team. Quite annoying and quite hard at times, but worth it to just be a part of the sport. I don't think there'd be very, very little now that would make me give up my spot on a national team. So I made it work. Yeah, you're holding on to that spot pretty tightly there. And with your experience now teaching, what do you think that's taught you as a leader and captain now on the national team? What do you think you can transfer from your career into into your sport. I never thought of that before. <laughs> As a former teacher, I had to ask, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it will definitely benefit me with just giving feedback because I used to find feedback to peers a bit more challenging. But now being a physical education teacher and a coach, just feedback is constant. You get used to giving it. And because you're giving it to kids, it's always extremely constructive and positive. So I'm hoping that makes me a little less nervous to then help out my teammates when necessary. So we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that works out. Yeah, I should probably interview one of your teammates uh, after Worlds whenever it happens and uh, get their feedback on your feedback, it sounds like. <laughs> so, Sarah, we're going to move into segment three here, memorable games. We're going to dip back into the Sarah Melvin archive. You can talk about university games, club games, national team games whatever you like but the first one is the good news 
What's the best game you ever played in uh, as a player? Or your favorite, I should say. Well, I was kind of stuck between two on this one. You can say both. You can say both. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that EUC final has to be one of the best. Just because of the feeling. The feeling during the game, knowing that your team and you are playing the best you could possibly play. And then just catching that final goal and knowing you just won the European Championships. Something that when I started Ultimate Frisbee all those years ago, I never even thought would be possible. So for that, just the feeling that came with that one, that just elation, really. But then the other one would be the first game of my first Eurostars tour against Madison Heist. I was so nervous. I just didn't think, I didn't believe I should be there. I was questioning why I was chosen. And I went out and I had a great game. And that feeling of standing on the line in the fourth point after I had scored a goal or got a D versus that very first point of feeling like I didn't belong, just that change was amazing. And something I'll never forget is that just feeling of believing in yourself, which is never something I had a problem with before until that situation. And just to know that, no, you're fine. You belong there. You're okay. And do you feel like that changed your whole mindset for the whole tour then? Were you nervous for other your second game or other games after that? Or after that Madison game, you felt pretty secure in your skills and your place on the team? I was feeling really good after it, actually. Still a little nervous because it's my first time playing against most of these players that I watch online all the time. I was unlucky and I hurt my shoulder really badly in the second game. So I was nervous for different reasons in the rest of the games, mostly because I was really struggling to throw anything other than a two meter backhand. But no, in terms of belief, I I felt like I belonged there. So that was nice. Sweet. And can you give the audience a quick snapshot of what it was like just to play in front of that front of a crowd and just having women's ultimate be showcased in that sort of venue, that platform. What was that like just for you as a as a European ultimate player, as a female ultimate player? What was that like? Oh, it's the most amazing feeling ever. It's something that you're never sure you're going to get is the opportunity to play in front of a crowd. And it just changes everything. There's an atmosphere. You know people have gone out of their way to come and watch you play. So they want to be there. And it's the best feeling. Hearing someone cheer, seeing an Irish flag in the stand, it's just something that I won't forget ever. And just really important that we can experience that sometimes because it's not something that's too common over here, unfortunately. Yeah, and what about at the European Ultimate Championships? Was there a crowd at all or was that mostly just the players at the tournament, not really just fans, right? Yeah, mostly players at the tournament. We were quite lucky. Our team had quite a number of fans come over. So lots of parents and siblings and things like that. So it was nice to know there was someone you knew in the crowd cheering you on. Yeah, it's definitely different on the Eurostars tour where you're playing in front of strangers who are there to see you, your team, but also their home uh, club team there. So they might be conflicted on who they're cheering for. Yeah, I was lucky. I had a couple of people I knew over in the States, so I knew there was at least someone in the crowd cheering us on. I got the Sarah Melvin sign going on or something. And then now we're going to, Sarah, go into the kind of bad news there. Your least favorite game that you've played in. Maybe it's your first game you ever played in. I don't know, because you so that you took a while to be convinced of the sport. So what was the least favorite game you played in? I've mentioned it already. That least favorite game was that loss in 2015 in the EUC final. 
And I've had bad games since, but nothing has come close to the feeling of losing that game. And like I said, not just because we lost, but how we lost. It just felt like everything that we had worked hard on perfecting just fell away. The game plan wasn't wasn't there anymore. There was lots of injuries. I myself had picked up an injury in the semi-final and just nothing, nothing you could do. You had no control anymore. You knew that you weren't going to affect that game. That was it. And knowing that during the game, it's hard. So the loss at the end is bad, but knowing pretty much that there's nothing you can really do. It's out of your hands. <laughs> yeah, it's heart-wrenching. You're watching, you're watching your gold medal slip away. But a learning curve, I guess, if I have to say something positive about it. Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you think uh, you learned from that experience? So, because clearly four years later, your team, obviously it's a little bit different being the women's team now, not the mixed team. But you had uh, success and you were a captain as well on that team. So what did you learn from that silver medal experience that you were able to take into that eventually winning that gold medal? The main thing I thought was important is that no matter what the situation is, you know all the work that you've put in and you know the plan. So unless you're actively told to do something else, you should just follow the plan because the coaches know what they're doing. And I think our team just did that so well. Everyone knew what their role was and everyone just did it. It was 100% trust in the management, the leadership, everyone. And knowing what it's like to lose as well was quite motivating. There was a number of us on both teams, so I don't think any of us wanted to feel that feeling again. So we were quite motivated once we got there. And was that something that was explicitly said within your team to really like avenge that loss like for some of the women that were on that mixed team? Or is that something kind of unspoken that maybe you just felt internally? Yeah, no, it was never something that was said out loud just because it didn't include everyone on the team so usually we try and just keep them separate but I know it was definitely in the back of my mind I didn't want another silver so yeah for sure and glad to see that you're able to get that gold medal in terms of sort of your future what are and this will be the last part of this segment here what are some of your goals that you have as a player I, I didn't necessarily ask you that earlier but what are some goals you have now that you've won a goal that you see What's the next step for Sarah Melvin and the Ireland women's team? Well, the next step was supposed to be Worlds in 2020. And we were going in with bracket play hopes, which is very big step up for an Irish women's team. I was kind of hoping, you know, semi-final. I like to dream big. You did say that earlier, so. <laughs> yeah, I I don't see the harm. If you fail, you fail, you learn something from it. But I think it's it's mostly to continue the progression we're on and to not let the Irish team in 2019 be an isolated event. We want Women's Ultimate to keep going. It's great that we won a gold medal, but that's not important if that's it for Irish Women's Ultimate. We want to keep growing and that's my focus. I want to contribute to that as much as I can. And then for me personally, I would love to go back to EUCF, so the European Club Finals, and get a medal there with Dublin Gravity. That would be my goal that I have currently. So I'd like that. And can you tell the audience, for those that don't know, what's the difference between the two? So you have EUC and then you just said EUCF. So can you give a quick info on, or give some quick info on what, what that is? Yeah, so 
EUC is the European Ultimate Championships, so that's a nationals team event, so the national teams from all over Europe will go compete in that, whereas EUCF is the European Ultimate Club Finals, so that will be all your local club teams, they'll all go to a regional event, and the top teams from each regional event will then meet at finals, usually in September, end of September, to try and win gold for a club level in Europe. So you could theoretically have two club teams from the UK, for example, or from Italy show up there. Is that correct? Yeah. So each region will have a different number of bids depending on success in other years. So usually there'd be a couple per region anyway, but because of it's only Ireland and the UK uh, in our region. So there were two Irish teams can get a bid or two UK teams if an Irish team didn't do well. So it really depends on the year. And for EUC, how does the qualification work for that? Because uh, it's not clubs anymore, it's countries. So countries are still kind of in a region and then the best countries from each region then make it. How does that work? No, so you just um, enter a team into Euros, so into EUC. Europe's quite small and we don't actually have women's teams in all of the countries yet. So if you want to go, you enter your team, basically. Okay, there you go. So if you want to... uh... If you're a smaller European country out there, you can uh, enter EUC. That's pretty cool. And so the disparity between the top and some of the low-end teams is pretty high then at that tournament, would you say? Yeah, definitely at the moment. I feel like it probably has reduced, but there's still a significant gap there. Again, it's it's hard. Low numbers, small countries trying to just grow the sport. I think we're all still in that growth phase over here. No matter how good the team is, every country's in growth phase. Yeah, for sure. It takes time. So appreciate you sharing that, Sarah. We're going to move to segment four. We're going to start with some rapid fire questions that are ultimate related. So the first one is, would you rather throw your flick or backhand? Backhand. Hammer or scuba? Scuba. Would you rather drop a pole or drop a catch in the end zone? Drop a catch in the end zone. Would you rather have five silver medals at EUC or one EUC gold medal? I feel like I know the answer, but I had to throw that one out there. (laughs) The one EUC gold medal. Should Ultimate Frisbee or Ultimate, as it's named, be renamed to something else? No. Two more questions. Should Ultimate have referees or do you like the way it is now? Keep it as it is. And last one for the Ultimate related. Should Ultimate pursue or continue to pursue uh, its place in the olympic games yes 100 percent. and you would hope one day that that would be you right oh obviously (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome so we're going to move into some non-sports questions these ones might be a little bit longer here for you to answer but the first one is i'm going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history alive or they've passed away so who would they be Serena Williams, Usain Bolt, and Malala. Okay, I thought you were going to go maybe just only sports theme there, so I like that you uh, change it up a little bit. I'm going to give you a chance to put on a concert in your backyard. You live in Dublin, so not sure what, you know, if you have a huge backyard there, but pretend you do if you don't. So you're allowed to book any band or artist in the world. you got to pick three and the order in which they play. Okay, this is going to be really cringy, but one of my all-time favorite bands, especially when I was 
a child was Westlife. So I'm going to go with Westlife, even though I'm super embarrassed. I've heard of Westlife, yeah, yeah. Boy band, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I go with Westlife, Ed Sheeran, and Hosier. Okay, so what's the order though? Are they is that the order they're playing in? Or are you gonna are you gonna put Westlife last there or what? Yeah, I would put Westlife last. So I'd go with Ed Sheeran, Hosier, and Westlife to end, just because you know cringy is good. Yeah, young Sarah Melvin would love that concert. Sounds like uh, yeah, exactly some Westlife. Yeah, Backstreet Boys were big over here and NSYNC and all that. So Westlife is a Euro- European group, I assume, right? Is that correct? Uh, they're Irish, actually. Oh, there you go. So you definitely have to support them at the concert. So makes sense. And last question here. You can choose ultimate as the answer to this question. So I'm going to give you all the talent in the world. You can play for any professional team, amateur team, or be an individual star athlete. So what would you pick? I think I would be a 100 meter sprinter. But at the Olympics. That's cool. All right. Sounds good. So Sarah, that actually concludes our show for today. Thanks for taking time out of your schedule. I know you're probably done teaching, but you gotta. there's always the prep and marketing to do. So there's lots of things to do as a teacher. So I get that. But I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on the podcast. If our audience wants to find out more about you, where can they find you online? Where can they find some of the games maybe that you've played in? I'm not great online, but I would use Instagram. You can find me at sarahmelvin43. And then a lot of our games are on YouTube. All the Eurostars tour stuff are there. A lot of the Irish games and then on Fancy's. Sweet. And I'll leave all that information in the show description. So if you want to check out any of the games, especially that hopefully that uh, EUC gold medal game is up there so that people uh, can check that out. Yeah, that's on Fancy. So the final is available if you want to check that out on Fancy. But you can also check out other games on YouTube. You can uh, follow Sarah on Instagram there if you feel so inclined. So Sarah, once again, thank you for coming on the podcast. Do appreciate it. Oh, thanks very much. Delighted to have been here. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Rowan McDonald, 2018 AUDL MVP with the DC Breeze and player for DC Truck Stop and the USA National Team. In this interview, Rowan talks about his journey into club division, going from an unknown player to making Boston Ironside, getting cut the following year, and then thriving in a larger role with DC Truck Stop ever since. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports. You can see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at One and Only Sports, and you can reach me by email at theo.wan6 at gmail.com. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.